Amen. Before you sit down, would you please do me a favor, something a little different today. Would you please read the Lord's Prayer along with me? Are we ready? Are you sure? Are we, okay, it's, oh good, it's up there, I was making sure. So, his disciples ask him, how should we pray? And he says, pray now this way. Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. You guys are a little sleepy today, so I wanted you to stay standing for a little while. You know, as I look back at where we have been, and not just in the five plus months that we've been in Revelation, but even all the way back to the last resurrection season this spring, when we were looking at the cross-centered life, and then we were looking at a life poured out in 2 Timothy, I feel like it has all brought us to this place where we are now looking at where we are going. Like what, what's, and that's really what Revelation has been about. And so as we get ready to wrap up Revelation over these next couple of weeks and enter into the holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I just wanted to remind you that we, for the, I think the fifth time maybe, we're going to be celebrating Advent together in your bulletin. There was a little, um, a little card like this that talks about, this says, prepare for arrival. And we're going to look at Advent. Every year we do it a little bit different, although there's, there'll be daily activities for your family to do. But it'll be an intentional time beginning the weekend of Thanksgiving. That's the first weekend of Advent. Um, of really pressing into celebrating his advent, which just means his coming. He came once, that was his first advent, and he will come again. And that's what Revelation has brought us to. And this particular message today brings us to that place. What we've been talking about in this series about how it's already finished but not yet done is that we live in the space between the gardens. We live in the space between the garden um, in, in, with Adam and Eve at creation and the, and the new garden that will be part of the new city and the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. But our problem is, and if you get nothing else out of the five plus months and the 20-something messages we've, we've gone through in Daniel and Revelation, guys, get this. This is not about now. Right? Like, like we have made this, the time that we live in, about now. But we should be living in the here and now, constantly thinking about the there and then. As believers in Christ, that is really where we should be living. And so we want to, we as we finish up this series, I, wanna, I just want to plead with us, in my own heart too, that we would not just go, okay, that was a great walk through a couple of really awesome prophetic books, but that it would really change the way we live. That we would be living in the power of the Spirit but for something so much bigger than the here and now. Because that's why we're here. Right, did you know that in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then later, he, in, in some manuscripts, in, in, um, in the Greek manuscripts, it has, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Do you know that kingdoms speak, that Jesus taught about the kingdom more than any other topic that he spoke on. More than money, more than sin, more than debt, more than, um, more than marriage, more than any other thing, he spoke of the kingdom of God. Because it really, really matters to us as kingdom people. And so today, as we finally get to this place in Revelation where we hear the words, 
it is done, that's the title of today's message, it is done, I want to ask a question. We've been building to this point for 25 weeks. What should excite us most about the kingdom of God? What should excite us most? If, 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 if he taught on the kingdom that much, if his second coming, his, his current kingdom here and now, and his eventual perfect kingdom there and then, is what he talked about and what scripture talks about three times as much as it talks about his first coming that we're going to celebrate at Christmas, how should, what should we be looking most forward to? I think that, that tells us a lot about where our heart is at. So open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to jump into it. We're going to go through all of, Lord willing, all of Revelation 21 and the first few verses of chapter 22 today, and then we'll finish up chapter 22 next week. So what should excite us, excite us most about the kingdom of God? The first thing is that we know that the beginning is just, it's just the beginning of the end. Like this kingdom we're in now, the kingdom is already here, but not yet fully fulfilled. This kingdom that we're living in his, as kingdom people now is just the beginning. It's not the end. Look at what he says in chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth, first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. That doesn't necessarily mean that the, the oceans have gone away. The sea is a, is a scriptural representation of rebellion and turmoil. Throughout the Old Testament, the authors of the Old Testament used it as a way of talking through rebellion, storm. That, so that's, I believe it's just talking about there's no longer any rebellion, no longer any storms. Um, it's all perfect peace. And then it says, And I saw a new city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, we spent a couple of weeks talking about this. Once, we, we all went up on the mountain and talked about being made ready. The week we came back, I taught on a bride made ready for real. I had a couple of our recent brides come up and share their story about what it's like to be a bride made ready. If you remember from that, it talked about how um, the bride had made herself ready. This was back in, in, in Revelation 19. The bride had made herself ready. That was in the active voice. That means we do it. In the Greek language, there, it's a much clearer understanding than in the, in the um, English. And so it's saying we do it. But then it says because it was granted to her to clothe herself. And that's in the passive voice. That means somebody else was doing it to her. And by the way, we're the her. Right? The bride of Christ is the church. Now here's what's interesting about this. When he says here that in verse 2 when he says the bride has been made ready and adorned for her husband. Both the verbs made ready and adorned are in the passive voice. That means God is the one who's made us ready. God is the one who has adorned us. But here's the best news. This time, it's written in what's called the perfect tense. Now, this is not a Greek Bible study, but here's, here's what that means and why it ought to give you chills. The perfect tense in Greek is, is one of the least forms of, of, the, of verbs used in all of the New Testament. What a perfect tense is, is it means a past completed action that has ongoing eternal results. So when he says the bride has been made ready and has adorned herself, here's what it's saying. God did this in the past perfectly. Already done. It is finished. And it has ongoing eternal results forever and ever and ever. What does that mean for you? Here's what it means. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ because he made you in Christ and there's nothing you can do to lose Christ. 
Once saved, always saved. There is no back and forth in our salvation. Right? Why? Because we had nothing to do with it. So how could we possibly lose it? He is saying here that, that this was planned in eternity past, in God's great mystery of, of his sovereignty, and he has done all the work, and it's done once for all time. Now let's pick it up in verse 3. He says, that I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, listen, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne says, Behold, listen, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Guys, do you know that in all of Revelation, in 20, 21 chapters we're covering so far, this is only the second time in the whole book that God the Father speaks. This is the, when, it, when it says there, in, when he says, and he who sits on the throne is talking about God the Father, said, behold, I am making all things new. The first time was in, was in um, the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, I am the Almighty. Why, after all, of, after all we've been through in five months, why break the silence? Why break the silence? Here's why. Who spoke at creation? God. God the Father. Right? How did he create? He spoke. Let there be light. Genesis 1. He is now saying, he's breaking the silence because from this point in the book forward, he is saying, I am going to recreate all things. The God who spoke at the beginning in Genesis 1 is speaking here now because what he's speaking about is a, is a new creation. It's not just a fresh coat of paint. It is a complete redo. And yet, it's still going to look a lot like it looks now. And yet, you're still going to look a little bit like how you look now. Just like Moses and Elijah were noticeable by Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, they, they were scared to death of them because they looked different. They recognized them. When we get our glorified bodies, it's not going to be like you are still going to be recognizable. Why? Because he is going to remake you but not lose you because he loves you. And so when he says here that, that, I, that there no longer be any crying and no longer be any mourning and no longer be any pain, that's the promise we cling to. Because when he does remake you and remake all of creation, guys, the, all, of, all of the bad stuff goes away. And we say, praise God for that. But, do you, but, but I want to step back for a second and say, do you know why, I, at the risk of sounding obvious, do you know why pain hurts so much? Physical pain, emotional pain. Do you know why, do you know why mourning, when someone dies and you're grieving, do you know why grief hurts? Do you get why, like, cry, like why, why do we cry over, over things that maybe you're like, man, why am I crying about this? Here's why. You were not hardwired by God to experience those things. Guys, the reason, the, the reason betrayal of friends and, and, 
and physical ailment. And the reason those things create so much turmoil in us is because we were not made by God for those things. In the garden, he did not make Adam and Eve, our parents, right? He did not make them to experience that. So, and yet, we live in a fallen world. So we do experience those things. And they rail against the God image in us. I'm not sure if I'm making myself, if, if, it's, if it's clear or not. But, but the next time you're feeling wounded, the next time you're feeling hurt, recognize that there's real fallen world reality to that. It's not just, well, I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't feel pain anymore. But recognize that the pain is, a, is not just a part of the fall, but it's, but it's proof that you're made for something more than that. You're made for something bigger than that. God is not apologizing for the pain here. He's not saying there'll be no more pain and I'm sorry I put you through it. Guys, this is, we talk about this a lot at Cornerstone. This is, this is proof that God is saying, I have purpose in the pain. At this point that we're going to look at in Revelation 21, he's saying, now you're going to get to see what the pain you've gone through, what the turmoil you've gone through, what the sacrifice you've had to give up, what the fill in the blank. Now you're going to see what the results of that are. The results of that weren't just that you would learn in the here and now. The results are that you would be more glorious to him in the there and then. He has purpose and plan in all of it. And when he comes back and he says, it is done, that we're going to read in a minute, he's like, there's no more need for that. You are now where I want you to be, individually and collectively. You are now, you have, I have used these things like the turmoil, strife, sacrifice, persecution, etc., to turn you into the image of my son. And now I'm going to fully fulfill it when you come to live with us in the new heaven and the new earth. When he returns, we will be like him because we will see him as he really is, John says. Guys, being wounded, like, like, like being wounded is real. I'm, please don't hear me saying, if you're a Christian, you have no reason to feel pain. You have no reason to feel anger. You have no reason to feel hurt. You have no reason to feel betrayal. You, I'm not saying that at all. Being wounded is real. Guys, this world is full of wounded people. I just heard a story. I just heard a story of somebody sitting at a coffee shop this morning and somebody walks up and goes, you know what, I have a word from you. God is healing your wounds. And I know the person's story. And God is. It's pretty amazing. So being, but, but being wounded doesn't make that person wrong. It just means it's part of the brokenness. Choosing to stay, now listen, hear me. One, two, three eyes on me. Choosing to stay wounded is your choice. Being wounded is part, of the, is part of this. It's part of the junk. Staying wounded is a choice you make. Get help. Right? Come talk to me. Talk to my wife. Talk to the other leaders in the church. If you need counseling, go see a counselor. Guys, we are broken people. We are not hardwired to experience what, what the enemy throws at us, but it's real. But choosing to live in it, stay in it, and wallow in it is a choice you need to not be making as a child of God. He has made us for more than that. I love how he says here, and he is making all things new. That word new there is actually the word kainos in Greek. 
making all things new. When he says he's making, he's, and I alluded to this earlier, it's not a remodel, it's a remake. It's, it's, it's bringing into existence something new. That's what that word in Greek actually means. And that's what he is doing. Guys, understand this. This, this, is, the, this is the whole series in a nutshell. In Genesis 3, death was born. Sin entered the world. In John 19, it is finished. Death died. And now when we get to this part where we're going to be in, just now in, Gen- in Revelation 21, when we hear him say, it is done, death is dead. And there'll be no more of it. We need to live in the reality that death was born, in the reality that death died on the cross with Jesus Christ, and then at the end, it's going to be gone forever. That's where we find our victory and our hope. So how, what should excite us most about being in the kingdom of God? We should be excited that the beginning of the end is just the end of the beginning. The beginning of the end is just the end of the beginning. And I'll allude to this as we go through in the time that I have left. Look at what he says in verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I'm going to work backwards through those three statements. He gives from the water of life without cost. Guys, do you remember what was in the garden? What was in the garden? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And when they eat from the knowledge of good and evil, God, in, in his justice, but also in his mercy, sends them out of the garden so they don't eat from the tree of life because then they would live forever as fallen. There would be no pro- chance for redemption. Here, that same tree shows up in the new heaven and the new earth because now Jesus, in the middle, Jesus has paid the price for our eternity, sealed us in it, and now God's saying, eat all you want. Eat from the tree of life because you're going to live forever with me. What did it take to get us from there, banished from the garden, to here, eat all the fruit you want? Is Christ dying on the cross and paying the price for our eternal salvation? That's the gospel. Then he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's just the A to Z in the Greek language. The first and, second, first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. So it's his way of saying, I am the beginning and the end and every letter in between. Here's what he's saying in a nutshell. This story is about me. I am the story. I am the whole story and nothing but the story. Every letter in here is a letter about me. That's what he's telling us. Already finished has become, all, has, has become done. And guys, just like, just like those words I looked at earlier, when he says it is done, guess what tense that is, is in the Greek? Perfect. It is done. Past, completed action. God already knows how it ends. Past, complete. Because in his, in his world, it's already done. We're just living in between. He's saying it's, it's already done, past, completed action, with ongoing, eternal result. It is done. It will always be done. It will never be undone. Satan cannot undo what God is doing. Guys, do you remember, I think it was like, I don't know, three months ago when we were in Revelation 11 and the seven trumpets were the seven plagues? Listen to what Paul says about a trumpet in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet 
of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those seven plagues in Revelation chapter 11 are those trumpets, seven trumpets, were plagues being poured out on those who even though God keeps offering and offering grace and grace, keep rejecting, keep rejecting. Here, Jesus comes back with a trumpet blast. And it actually says in the, in the, NAS, or in the um, ESV, it says, and the Lord himself will give a command. I, when he says in, he, will, he will return from heaven with a shout, guess what, the shout I, what I think the shout is? Trumpet blows, it is done. No more. I'm, it's finished. Satan, you're done. I am so looking forward to that day. I, I just am more and more as the day draws near. Guys, the benediction or the invocation passage that, that Dave read is all about that moment and the trumpet that will blow when, the, when Jesus comes back. It's the final trumpet that ushers in our last, our salvation. Look at what he says in, Revelation, or in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised perishable or imperishable and will be changed. The word change there means, in Greek, changed into a new creation. It is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone has come to faith in Christ, if you're sitting here today and you know Jesus, you are in Christ and you are a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new have come. Already finished. Here we're reading Done. When he takes our spiritual rebirth and, and marries it, mashes it together with our physical rebirth in our glorified bodies, it is done. And man, do I look forward to that day. But I said that already. Look at verse 8. But the cowardly and the unbelieving and the un, and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and liars will part, their part will be, will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. As you know from our past messages in, at retreat, that's us. So what should we be most excited about about the kingdom of God? The answer is that we remember that the beginning of the end is just the end of the beginning, but here's how we remember that. Because we are called a kingdom people. It goes back to what I talked about at the introduction. Jesus talked about the kingdom more than anything else. Kingdom speak is something we need to be talking about more here at Cornerstone. And I put myself in that category. I need to be talking more about being a kingdom person. Living for the kingdom of God. Why? Because my propensity is to live for my kingdom. To put myself on the throne. And there's no place for that as a kingdom, as a, as a child of God, as one of his kingdom people. Look at what he says. I'm just going to read a few verses, and we're going to kind of skim through some of this. Verses 10 through 14, look at what it says. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Remember that statement. Her, her brilliance was, was like a very costly stone as the stone of a crystal clear jasper. It was, a, it was a great and high wall with 12 gates and the, 12, and the gates 12 angels. And the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. That's the Jewish nation, the people, the people of God in the Old Testament. 
There are three gates on the east and three gates on the north and three gates on the south and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles. Don't get lost in the details because here's what we'll do. Well, who's the 12th apostle? I will spend all, I'm going to spend the next three weeks studying who's the 12th apostle because it couldn't have been Judas. Was it Paul? Was it Matthias? Was it, who was it? Who cares? You'll figure it out when you get there. Right, guys? Here's, this is what I mean by don't get, I'm not saying, if, if you've got extra time, like, if, man, if you're, you've got time to walk with the Lord and read and respond to his word like we talk about, and you've got, guys, and you've got extra time to dive into some of these details, all, I mean, there is nothing better to dive into than the word of God. Amen. Amen. However, don't make the detail, don't put the details in front of the one to whom they're speaking of. Right? Look, because we will fly right past the, the, the little passage that I asked you to remember to, to think about. Look at what it says when he says, the beginning of verse 11, having the glory of God. That's the point. The point of all of the rest of what we're about to read is this little statement that's sort of tucked in there in the way our publishers even, even break down the verses. Because there weren't verses in this when John wrote it, by the way. He said, that should be what our focus is, the glory of God. Now, what he's doing from here on out is he's saying, what describes the glory of God? Okay, well, here's one of the things that describes the glory of God, the beautiful unity of God's people, right? There's only one people, and it's God's people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. The, the, the 12 nation, tribes of Israel is just his way of saying all of those Old Testament saints that were looking forward to the promise of the Messiah. And then he says in the, in the apostles, this is saying all of God's people in the New Testament and in the church age come together as one united people. That brings glory to God. Guys, if you're sitting here right now and you're struggling with somebody in your church, in this church, or you know somebody who's not here today because they're struggling with somebody in this church, God is not in that in any way, shape, or form. He's just not. There is no part of God that is using that to move you on or to have moved them on. Every time there's disunity in the body of Christ, and I am, I am guilty of committing it, guys. I am. Carrie and I have spent a lot of time in the last few weeks just pursuing people and seeking their forgiveness for things that we might have brought disunity to the body of Christ in. Because here's what we know. Every time there's disunity in the body of Christ, Satan is at work. Every time, every time, every time. If you don't believe that, I beg you to come talk to me. And I'll show you in Scripture. There is no time that God divides the body of Christ in disunity. He creates unity. Our job is to preserve it. That's, that's what Paul tells us to do in, Go in Ephesians. Okay, that was not in my notes. Sorry. But guys, think about this for a second. When we, when we want to dive into the details of, the, of, of what we just read about the apostles or some of the stuff that I'm not even going to read about the different kinds of stones and, 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 the, and the precious metals and everything else, what is ultimately that saying about our heart? Ultimately, what it's saying about our heart is we want to worship us. Like, I want to know what all of this means. Ultimately, it's saying I want to know what I have to look forward to when I get there. Here's what you have to look forward to. The glory of God, verse 11. Look forward to that. Put him on his throne and move on. 
Because that's that's, he's the only one that belongs there. I'll give you an example. Look at verses 15 and 16. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and the gates and its walls. And the city was laid out in a square. And in its length, it had it, 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 and at its width, and, it, and, it, and he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles by, by its length and width and height were equal. Guys, I, I've actually read commentaries where people have broken down the square footage of what, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, and, and then tried to figure out how many people have ever lived on the planet to figure out how many square feet we all get in the new heaven and the new earth. Oh my, what a waste of time. And, and frankly, what a bad use of scripture. Like, you're, you're hermeneutic. You're, the way you're looking at scripture is completely wrong if you're doing that. Guys, here's the point it's a cube. Guess what else was a cube? The Holy of Holies. In Exodus, where they worship God, guess what shape it was? A cube. This is just the angel, this is just Paul saying to us, guess what? The Holy of Holies is coming back. He left. You're going to read about that this week if you're doing your daily readings in Ezekiel chapter 10. He left. He is coming back. The Holy of Holies. Guys, all, all of this All of this is about the glory of God. And I make it about the glory of me, the glory of my family, the glory of this church. Shame on me. Shame, yeah, just shame on me. This is all about the glory of God. Paul, or John gets back to the main point after talking about all these, look at verse 22. He says, I, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of a sun or a moon to shine on it, for the glory of God was, had illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Guys, understand that ultimately what, what he's telling us through all this is he is everywhere all the time. Like, look at verse 25. In the daytime, for there is no night there, all the time it will be his time. Its gates will never be closed. Why? Because there's no need to keep anything out anymore because all the evil is gone. And they will bring the glory of the, and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abominations or lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Guys, just like... Just like Brian did a great job of reiterating over and over last week about the importance of when this time comes, it's too late for those people that don't know. This, out of all of the stuff that I just sort of skimmed over or skipped in these, in these verses, basically 15 through 27, that last part should stand out to us. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. John, in his gospel, starts it this way. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so our job, bottom, let me just bottom line this for you. We are kingdom people, meant to live in kingdom power for kingdom glory. And the way that happens is we see as many names as possible written down in this Lamb's Book of Life before, it gets, before he comes back. We are kingdom people meant to live in kingdom power for kingdom glory. 
That's what ought to concern us most. Guys, I, I probably say this passage so many times you're sick of it, but write it down again. If you haven't underlined it in your Bible, shame on you. But 1 Peter 2, 9. 1 Peter 2, 9. What does he say? But you, church, persecuted church, by the way, but you, church, are a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. That he because, Why? 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 Because he called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Why? So that you would proclaim him to the nations. He's saying, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We are the church. We are the ones he's coming back for. We are the bride made ready. I love how Paul puts it really simply in Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us, right, by redeeming us, by paying the price for us on the cross, and he has transferred us into his kingdom. Regardless of how you feel, moment by moment, sometimes I don't feel like a kingdom person. It doesn't matter. Because I didn't make the transaction. Christ did on the cross. My kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things I loved about the timing of even sharing what was going on in the, in the Mexico um, trip, um, and, so, and thank you, Farron and Gary, for doing that um, so well, is, is there's, there's a scene in Matthew 25 where Jesus is not talking in some parable. He's talking about himself. He says, when the king returns, he's saying, when I come back in glory with my angels, I am going to say to the ones on my right, that's the church, that, that you can enter into my presence because I was naked and you clothed me, I was hungry and you fed me, right? I was, I was alone and you came to me. And then he's going to say to the ones on the left, the ones that reject the gospel, depart from me. Because, I, because you saw me as naked and you, and you, and you saw me as, as hungry and you saw me as needing and you rejected me over and over and over again. Last thing, so what should excite us most about the kingdom of God? The be, that we remember that the beginning of the end is just the end of the beginning because we are called a kingdom people meant to live in kingdom glory now and forever. And let's just, we're going to finish up our time by looking at just a glimpse of what that glory looks like, and I'll finish it up, Lord willing, next week. Look at chapter 22, the first five verses. He says, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was, the tree of, was a tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and the, throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the bondservants will serve him. They will see his face. Guys, get that. We will see the face of God. And his name will be on their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will no longer have a need of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. Guys, he's just bringing us back to the garden. Adam and Eve walked shoulder and shoulder with the living God. And the minute they rebelled, that relationship was severed until Christ came. 
And now he's inviting us back. And although we're not yet shoulder to shoulder, this is telling us we will be. We will see his face. We will, guys, this, this whole thing is a glory story. But whose? That's the question, right? This whole thing, all of creation, all of human history is a glory story. But whose? His. Not Christ in me. That's my hope for glory. To, that's my hope for coming into his glory, Christ in me. But it's not Christ in me. It's Christ alone that should get the glory. Right? That should be our prayer as a people. Christ alone, you get the glory, for you are the only one worthy of the glory. Guys, the, whole, the, the Old Testament, again, you'll read about it. Solomon finishes the temple. They dedicate the temple, he prays. After Solomon prayed, the fire of God fell from heaven, consumed the offering, and then it says, and the Spirit of God took up residency in the temple, and the priests of God could not minister to God because the glory of God filled the temple of God. That was the Old Testament. Ezekiel, again, you'll read about it. The glory of God leaves because God's people rebel. Guess what happens? Praise the Lord, Jesus comes. And tabernacles, right, First, our John, um, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling. Actually means, and tabernacled. The, the tabernacle that had the glory of God was now in Christ. And we beheld his glory, John says. Glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's John 1, 14. Guys, glory in the Old Testament was at the temple. Glory in the New Testament was Jesus Christ. As New Testament believers, that glory now indwells us. Praise the Lord. Why? Because we beheld his glory. And then, we're, and then we see here, in, when, it's, when it is done, the glory is going to be all-consuming. Because we're just going to be in the very presence of his glory. We'll be doing stuff. For those of you that are in the, we're in the heaven study, I mean, we're not just going to be sitting around casting our crowns. That's not what heaven is going to be. When this happens, we're going to be busy about the business of kingdom life. But it's going to be awesome. And everywhere you go, there's going to be the glory of God. And everybody you know is going to be your best friend. You're going to know their name. There will be no need for name tags. Right? This is what we have to look forward to. As the music team comes up, otherwise known as my daughters, I want to read to you the last words out of the last book written in the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. You guys can come up. It says, they'll come up on the screen. It says, and he spoke. He is Aslan, who is the lion, who is the picture of Christ in the, in the whole saga of the Narnia series. It says, and he spoke, and he no longer looked like, to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. Imagine John writing this to us today. He's, he's, he's almost like, and that's really how he ends the book. It's like, I can't write anymore about how amazing this place is going to be. That's what C.S. Lewis is doing for us here. And he says, and for us, this, this end of all the stories, and we came most truly to say that they all lived happily ever after. But guys, get this. This is why I wanted to read this. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all the adventures of Narnia and had only been the cover of the and the title page. Now, at the last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, 
which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Guys, that's what we have to look forward to. What part of his story are you letting him write on your life? What part of his story are you letting him write on your life? Guys, if you enter into eternity, you, you, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the little things. You will be given much. Enter into the joy of your master. Those are the words of our, of our Savior talking about when we go to heaven. It's not saying you're going, to get, you're going to get reward here and now and drive a nice car. Guys, those are words of reward. I, we're going to see, I am coming quickly, he says, and my reward is with me. What do you get rewarded for? What you let him write on your life. That's what you get rewarded for. Guys, you are the most precious people I know. Honestly, you are. Like, like I am so proud to be called your pastor. But guys, let us long for something more than the world has to offer. Let us as a, as a people, as a, as a united people, live for something more than just like the pursuit of personal comfort and stuff and self and what's going to make me feel better. Guys, and let's look for ways to, to share the Savior who has sealed our eternity. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord. For, I, I thank you that you are telling an amazing story. It's not always a comfortable story. Um, it's not even a story that sometimes I want to hear. But it's your story. For your glory. And so I repent of those words that just came out of my mouth. I should want to hear every part of your story. Every part of your story that you, have, that you have recorded for us in the Word, to be sure, but every part of the story that you're telling in my life, let that be our prayer as a people. We want to hear the story you're telling. Let us not run from the story. Let us lean into the story you're telling. Let us get uncomfortable. Because we know that it's not this, all of this here and now is not about here and now, it's about there and then. This is, this is the beginning of the end, and yet it's just, the, it's just the end of the very beginning here, Lord. We are forever going to be with you. We are kingdom people. We are forever. The, the story really begins when we enter into your perfect kingdom, and that's going to go on forever. And yet what we do here and now impacts that. Whether that, where we get to take up residency, Lord, I want to pray again, as I did at the beginning, for those who have not been born again, that, that today would be the day that they would be born twice, that they might only die once, that the second death would have no power over them. Because they have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God, that you raised him from the dead, that we have a living hope in a living Savior. I pray for those of us who do know that, Lord, that we would not waste that that we would not waste the cost of Christ on a cross by living for myself. 
That we would look for opportunities to tell people about the Savior who has sealed our eternity. Because not only is it finished once for all time, in your perspective, it's done. Perfect. Completed. So whatever comes our way, as we, leave, as, we, as we leave here today, as we're, as we're talking in fellowship throughout this week, whatever comes our way, may we filter it through the lens of eternal hope, of eternal victory. You're not up in heaven right now going, I hope this all works out. It's done. Let's live like it. In the power of Jesus' name, amen.